135, verses 1 through 3. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O servants of the Lord. You who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is lovely. Please remain standing and turn in your hymn books to hymn number 204 for our hymn of praise. Heavenly God, our Heavenly Father, we are in wonder of you. You are our creator. You have even created the stars in the heavens. And yet, Lord, you you ask us to call, call you our Heavenly Father. What a wonderful, glorious privilege it is to be your child, to be children who call their God, their creator, Father. We pray, Lord, that you would help us this evening, that you'd help us to worship you rightly, to lift up your name, to cherish your holiness. We pray, Lord, earnestly and look forward to your return, to take us home, to rescue us from this evil age. But while we wait, Lord, we pray that you would help us to do your will, to do your will in our churches to do your will in our personal lives, in our private lives, in our private thoughts. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to do your will um, as it is done in heaven. Um, Even though, Lord, we know that we are, even our best righteousness is um, tainted with sin. We pray, Lord, that your will would be done even in our world, our sinful world, fallen world, in our civil government, governments, and um, in our culture. We pray, Lord, that there would be a great revival um, through the gospel um, and through your church uh, and a returning in a re, uh, to you and a repentance of sin in our culture. 
We pray, Lord, for our needs. Uh, we have needs um, both financial and in, in our health. Um, we pray for those who may be struggling uh, to find work and to put food on their table. We pray that you would provide for them, provide for us, Lord, um, our, our daily food. We pray, Lord, for those who are struggling with health issues and sickness, and we know um, that there's always um, uh, this time of, of, um, of possible outbreaks of, um, of COVID-19 in our midst, and we pray for your protection, and we pray, Lord, for our health, and that you would meet the needs of those in our congregation tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for the many times in which we wander from you. Um, we pray that you would call us back to yourself and gently lead us as a shepherd back to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us steadfast hearts devoted to you. We pray that you would forgive us, Lord, um, and that we would help that you would help us to find in our hearts love to forgive one another when we uh trespass against one another. We pray for love and unity within our congregation and within our families. Um, we just pray for, for people to know us by our love, not only for each other, but for you. We pray, Lord, that you would deliver us um, from those who seek to do us harm and also our own to deliver us from our own sinful natures um, that cause us to to draw our hearts, uh, that our hearts draw us astray and, and cause us to stumble. We pray that um, you would, in the end, um, cause us to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so to this morning, or this morning, this evening's scripture reading is found in Luke chapter 24. This is the section before the, the section of the scriptures that I'll be preaching on tonight. So it provides a little backdrop to um, today's tonight's sermon. It's Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. This is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and um, describing the two travelers on their way back from, from Jerusalem. They're traveling from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. Starting with verse 13. <clears throat> now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us, when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he was, would have gone further, farther. 
But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Let us stand in response to reading God's holy word and sing the doxology. Tonight's confessional reading is the Apostles' Creed. So please join me in reading together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand as we sing our hymn of preparation found in hymn number 205.
Well, you may be wondering why are we having a sermon on the resurrection during Christmas time, and that's because this sermon is what they call a back pocket sermon. A back pocket sermon is one of those sermons you're supposed to, the elders are supposed to kind of keep in their back pocket in case pastor comes down on a sudden illness, and we can all know it's flu season. So we were getting our back pocket sermons ready. And then there was a little change-up of um, vacation plans for the pastor, and um, voila, we have a resurrection sermon around Christmas time. So that explains why I'm doing this. Um, our, our text for this evening is found in Luke chapter 24, and we'll continue where we left off from our earlier reading, starting with verse 36. And we'll, we'll read from 36 to the end of, the, of Luke, um, verse 53. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the prophet of my, the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them, Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this encouraging witness, the witness of the of um, the writer Luke um, and of his of this wonderful story of resurrection and hope that we have, we pray, Lord, and we we confess to you that our hearts are often foolish and slow of heart to believe. Our hearts can be clouded with worry, with the worldly endeavors, and we ask, Lord, for your help. We pray that you would cause us to thirst after you, to thirst after your, your word this evening, to be quick to believe, to be eager to obey, to be ever seeking to apply your word, not only tonight, but throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> my... my Beloved Uncle Leo was a godly man. He was um, he was a good Christian Baptist. Um, he used to preach Sunday school. He was a deacon, not an elder. In Baptists, they have deacons instead of elders. And um, he he was a very, he was a very 
his Sunday school class was very popular. He would go through Romans and, and just enjoy to teach. He was a very good teacher. He fought in World War II. He was a member, who was in, in drafted in the U.S. Army. And he was a half-track driver. In one battle, his commanding officer above him in the half-track, um, in the machine gun turret, was hit directly by a tank, um, 88 millimeter. His commander was immediately killed, and Leo was injured badly, but kept driving, saving all the passengers in the back of his half-track. Leo passed out from lack of blood as soon as he got his men to safety. Because of his bravery, all his men um, put in for a bronze star for Leo. He was awarded that bronze star, and he was given the rare opportunity to see General Patton while exiting a plane. Apparently, um, he wasn't very fond of Patton because he just went right by him and never shook his hand or anything like that. Um, he didn't didn't pay special attention to those who had fought fought so bravely. We have a common idiom in to describe such encounters. When we meet someone who is bodily present or in person, we say that we have met them in the flesh. You could say my Uncle Leo got to see General Patton in the flesh that day. It wasn't that he got to see General Patton on TV. He saw him in the flesh. Today's passage describes such an encounter for the disciples, but with an even higher authority than General Patton. They were a scattered group of forlorn and despairing disciples. Here they had thought Jesus would be a, a king of Israel. But instead, they see their earthly aspirations dashed by his betrayal, capture, swift condemnation, and crucifixion. They were thinking earthly, and they had failed to understand his true mission. You see, when Jesus would preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he wasn't talking about an earthly kingdom, but an eternal spiritual kingdom. He said, As he said to Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. And so they were caught off guard. They were blinded by their earthly dreams. They were not thinking high enough. But first, a little backstory is is in order. Jesus had just appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, both disciples, one being Cleopas were supernaturally restrained from recognizing Jesus until he took bread, blessed, and broke it and gave it to them. That's verse 30. The day was already far spent. However, this did not keep them from rising up that very hour to take the seven-mile trek back to Jerusalem. It takes about an hour and 45 minutes to walk seven miles. This also tells us how long they had been talking to Jesus that day. Can you imagine that? Having an hour and 45 minute personal teaching session with our Lord Jesus Christ. That would have been wonderful. John chapter 20 verse 19 tells us that the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. John chapter 20 verse 24 also notes that Thomas was not with them. So these two disciples must have had, a, had to reveal their identity in order to be let in. You can tell that they were excited by their words. <clears throat> not just the Lord is risen, but the Lord is risen indeed, explanation point. If I were to put it in modern English, it would be like this. The Lord is really risen. Before their um, walk with Jesus, had, um, they had come across Peter and found out that he had also seen this, the risen Savior. We see this sequence also recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, where it says, He rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. So this is the backdrop of what we are about to read. I have divided... Um, tonight's text into five parts or divisions. We have one, division one, a terrifying surprise. Division two, Jesus rebukes. Division number three, Jesus breathes. Division four, 
Jesus commissions. And lastly, division five, Jesus ascends. So starting with the first division, verses 36 to 37, a terrifying surprise. Now, it says in, in starting with 36, now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. Notice it does not say that Jesus opened the door, but it says merely that he stood in the midst of them. This is a a clear indication that this was a miraculous entry um, of Jesus Christ upon their group. Jesus expresses his love, his friendship and forgiveness with his greeting, peace to you. Now, remember, all the disciples had deserted him in his time of suffering. But instead of berating them, he greets them with the assuring words, peace to you. Jesus' sudden appearance out of nowhere logically produced an emotional fright in the disciples. Luke tells us they were terrified. This was no momentary spook either, like what happens when someone jumps out at you from behind a door and says, boo. This was a lasting feeling of terror because they were sure that they were seeing the disembodied spirit of Jesus and not truly him in the flesh. But why did they suppose this? What evidence did they have that they, had, that they were seeing a spirit if it was not their lack of faith? This leads us to the second division of this text, tonight's text, Jesus Rebukes. Starting with verse 38, he says, and he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. His question, why are you troubled, is rhetorical. He is really saying, you should not be troubled. Sorry about that. Time is falling here. So his his question was not, it was more of a rhetorical question. He is really saying, you should not be troubled. You shouldn't be doubting my resurrection. Jesus had prophesied to his disciples concerning his death and resurrection many times throughout, um, throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'll just read one as an example found in Matthew chapter 20, verse 18. He's very specific about what's going to happen to him in this passage. Um, Matthew 20, verse 18 to 19 says, The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify And the third day he will rise again. See, it's very clear. He lays everything out for them. You know, so the question is, why didn't they catch that? What what were they missing here? So they should have anticipated his resurrection. But just like the two on the road to Emmaus, they were, quote, foolish and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. That's verse 25. But with this admonishment, he lovingly condescends to their weakness and says, and by saying, handle me to, and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as I, as you see I have. Should they have trusted their senses over the word of the Savior? No. After all, what is more sure, God's word or our senses? There is something very earthy about this whole encounter. Jesus is eager to show them, as well as you and me tonight, that he was resurrected in the flesh. Could it be that Jesus knew that John, one of the disciples present that night, would be one day battling the Gnostics 
that would deny that Jesus had come in the flesh? By the way, did you know that verse 40 is so offensive to the early Gnostics and Arians that they ripped it out of their Bibles? As early as the second century, we have Valentinian Gnostics writing their own Bible. This is reflected in many of the Alexandrian texts that came out of Egypt. Unfortunately, these Gnostic Greek manuscripts are now the basis of most modern translations except for the King James Version and the New King James Version. For example, RSV completely omits verse 40. ASV adds a note at the bottom. Some ancient authorities omit verse 40. The 1977 version of the NAS bracketed verse 40 and omits the ascension. It, he, uh, NAS 1977 omits carried up into heaven, even though the section is called the um, is, is entitled the ascension. They just ripped the ascension out of the section entitled the ascension. <laughs> um, Westcott and Hort double bracket verse 40. Double brackets 51. Whenever they double bracket, they, they cause doubt. They might, they're, a, they're actually saying this may or may not be here in the Bible. This is Greek manuscripts. The Greek New Testament, they're double bracketing. Uh, Westcott and Hort is a version of the Greek New Testament. Sinaiticus omits verse 40 and omits verse 51 and carried up into heaven. Why? Why are these why are these all, all these versions casting seeds of doubt on important verses in God's holy word? Is it all because of, it is all because of a lie Satan introduced in the late 19th century. The higher critics from Germany and the Roman Catholic Jesuits teamed up to convince Protestants that their Greek New Testament, called the Ecclesiastical Text or the Textus Receptus, was not truly preserved by God's Providence, as our confession, Westminster Confession of Faith actually states, but needed to be fixed, needed something missing. Be careful, my friends. Do not fall for the same lie of Satan from, from the garden. Has God indeed said, you know the truth. Sometimes you just need to stand up and fight for it. The church is being tested with these modern translations. Do we really believe Jesus came in the flesh? Do we really believe in the ascension? Yes, we do. In fact, I know because you just confessed it this this evening in the Apostles' Creed. Um, Do we do we really believe in the Trinity? Did you know that there are only two descriptions of the ascension of Jesus Christ in the Gospels? The end of Mark and here in Luke. Guess what? Both are missing from what the secular world considers to be the oldest and most reliable New Testament manuscript called Sinaiticus. This same Sinaiticus manuscript is given precedence in most modern translations. I have come to believe that Sinaiticus is a forgery and contains numerous Gnostic omissions and alterations. One of the reasons I am preaching on this text is because I want you all to know that Jesus' bodily resurrection and ascension is true. God's word is true. Verse 40 is infallibly true. So is verse 51. Don't let anyone tear verse 40 out of your Bibles. So, returning to our, the main topic of our, our lesson tonight. So Jesus showed them his flesh and bones, and even eating a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb in their presence. This is not because Jesus wants us to rely on our senses, but because he condescended to our weakness of these frightened disciples. 
but not without rebuke for their doubting hearts. He also wanted us to know that his resurrection was bodily. So what are the theological implications of the bodily resurrection? Number one, if Christ did not suffer, die, and rise again in the flesh, he is not our representative. We are still bound to obey God's law perfectly. We are still bound, in fact, by the covenant of works. Why do I say this? Do you know what I mean by the covenant of works? The, wor- the, the covenant in the garden um, to not eat of the garden of the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. We are still bound by the covenant of works. Why do I say this? Paul tells us so in Romans chapter 5, 12. Speaking of the fall, he says, Death spread to all men because all sinned. Not because Adam sinned, but all sinned. So therefore, we participated in the fall with Adam. Guilt implies the covenant of works is still binding. Our participation in Adam's criminal rebellion shows without a doubt that the covenant of works is still in effect for us all, still binding upon us. We need, we still need to fulfill it. We still need to obey it. We need a fully human representative like Adam, the second Adam, in the flesh, like us, but without sin. Someone who has fulfilled the covenant of works in our place, while at the same time fulfilling its penalties. This is the active and passive obedience of Christ that I'm talking about. This also explains why God expects perfection of us. Though after the fall we are not able, God doesn't, uh, God doesn't change his expectations, his standards, just because we participated in a rebellion against him. So we need a representative. <clears throat> and if Christ did not rise as our representative, we are still in our sin. If Christ is our representative, we are not saved and we have no hope of salvation his resurrection provides us with hope. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16 to 19. That's 1 Corinthians 15. For if the dead did not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. And number three, as as far as theological implications of this of this particular passage of his resurrection, um, Christ's coming in the flesh is a foundational doctrine of the gospel. By this, this is uh, First John chapter four, verse two to three says this. This is First John. Chapter four, verse two to three. By this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And then a little bit later on in Second John, verse 7, it says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess that Jesus Christ has coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Why had they lost hope? Why did they doubt his resurrection? Um, they did not un. So that, that basically concludes, I'm sorry, that concludes the theological implications of the resurrection. But let me go on back to our text and go on to the next section, which is God, uh, Jesus breathes, um, section three or division three, Jesus breathes. So why had they lost hope? They did, they, why did they doubt his resurrection? Did, they did not understand, they did not understand the scriptures. So this brings us to the third division, Jesus breathes. Starting with verse 44, it says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled 
which were written in the law of Moses and of, and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Here Jesus points them back to his prophetic words, which we have already discussed, were sprinkled throughout the four Gospels. We already discussed how they were poor listeners because they had been foolish and slow of heart to believe. Here Luke uses words, the words opening their understanding But John, the Gospel of John, goes into even more detail. Here, um, I'll read John chapter 20, verse 22. Um, He says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Calvin says, For what John says of that day, that he breathed on them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost, agrees with the words of Luke, which were immediately Follow that he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. By these words, Christ indirectly reproves their gross and shameful forgetfulness that though they had long ago been fully informed of his future resurrection, they were as much astonished as if it had never been mentioned to them. End of quote. That's um, Calvin. What is the cure of slowness of heart? Holy Spirit-given faith. This demonstrates the Latin phrase penned by St. Augustine. You may have heard this, credo ut intelligam, which means we believe in order to understand. The disciples had failed to understand Jesus, not because they lacked the intellectual capacity to um, capacity, but that because they lacked the faith, their faith was weak. So then Jesus moves on to his intended mission for why he came into this world. And then he explains his commission to them and he commissions them before he parts from them. This is my fourth division. Jesus commissions, starting with verse 46. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ, the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Notice that his atonement and resurrection accomplishes two things. Number one, the preaching of repentance. And number two, the preaching of the remission of sins. The repentance is a gift of God. Peter explains this to the Jewish leaders who forbade him to preach in the temple in Jesus' name. In Acts chapter 5, verse 31, this is Peter's response. He says back to them, him God exalted to his right, his right hand to be prince and savior. And Peter was an eyewitness of that. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. It's the same thing here that Jesus is talking about. Peter just parrots that back to the, hey, this is what, what Jesus told us to do and we're going to do it. Um, and it gets back to uh, this morning's sermon about authority of civil, civil authority. Hey, if it conflicts with what Jesus commissions us to do, we are to follow our great commander in heaven, Jesus Christ. Secondly, Christ's atoning work and resurrection accomplishes the preaching of the remission of sins. Remit in English means to refrain from exacting a penalty or to cancel out a debt. Um, in Greek, it means forgiveness or pardon of sins, the letting someone go as if they had had not committed a crime. Um, that's Thayer's uh, Greek dictionary. And the, the word preach here is the caruso, to herald, and that means to proclaim after the manner of a herald, always with a suggestion of formality, gravity, and an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. So how is the... Um, of how is repentance 
and the remission of sins to be heralded. He says how we are to do that, and it's in his name. For, for um, It says in Acts chapter 4, there, verse 12, There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So he commissions his, his disciples to preach the remission of sins and repentance in his name. Notice that even the Holy Spirit waits for a person to receive the gospel in Jesus' name before being poured out with supernatural gifts. We see this when Paul comes to Ephesus and meets up with 12 men who had only received John's baptism. They had never heard of this Jesus Christ before. They just had heard about John the Baptist. But Jesus is preached to them. And then it says in Acts 19.6, the Holy Ghost came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Preach to whom? Notice Jesus here says, in my name, in, in my name, but also to whom we are to preach, and that is to all nations. Just not, not just ethnic Israel. Jesus prophesies the spread of the church beginning at Jerusalem. This implies that they will be sent to all nations, which Luke chronicles very detailed in his second book, um, in the book of Acts. They were also instructed to wait until they were empowered and emboldened by what? The Holy Spirit. He was going to send the Holy Spirit to them. So to summarize, we have covered this so far. Number one, a terrifying surprise. Number two, Jesus rebukes. Number three, Jesus breathes, gives them, opens up their minds. Number four, Jesus commissions. And this leads to the, um, the last division, Jesus ascends. Luke ends his gospel with a very important action, Jesus' ascension, starting with verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem and with with great joy, and we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Keep in mind that there is a passage of time here. Luke later writes in chapter uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, that 40 days passed between his sufferings and his ascension. During these 40 days, he has a private retreat with his disciples in Galilee. Remember the interaction that he has with, they go back to fishing, and he has this interaction with them, and he calls them out of the boat, and, and Peter jumps out of the boat and comes first, and he has that interaction with Peter um, three times, do you love me? That's his private retreat in Galilee. <clears throat> so there's a passage of time here. Um, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, that our resurrected Lord was seen by over 500 brethren at once. 500 brethren. So when it says, as far as Bethany, he led them out as far as Bethany, that is probably, the, Bethany is really close. It's only like seven miles outside of Jerusalem. So this is probably in reference to a return trip back from Galilee toward Jerusalem. And remember, after Bethany and after the, resur- the ascension, they stay in Jerusalem. He tells them to stay in Jerusalem until the, until the Holy Ghost is sent upon them. And so when it says as far as Bethany, it's probably a return trip um, from Galilee, not from Jerusalem, because of this passage of 40 days. We see the tender love of Christ for his church in the fact that Jesus' parting actions toward us is one of blessing. The disciples have an appropriate response. They worshipped him. So what are some of the implications of the ascension? Well, number one, we serve an enthroned king. It is important to note that henceforth, people like Stephen, John, when they see visions of Jesus in heaven, he is enthroned on high. Brothers and sisters, we are not waiting for Jesus to be made king. He is king. This means we are not waiting for a future kingdom here on earth. Jesus 
ascension, number two, Jesus' ascension, is a continuation of his priestly office. As we've been learning in Hebrews, Jesus, in a sense, is just beginning his office as priest. It will continue on um, in, in heaven for us as he, as he mediates for us. Number three, Jesus' ascension shows us his power over the physical and metaphysical realms. He is now able to pass freely from one to the other. He can step back into our world as easily as he stepped out of it. And he will one day. Number four, Jesus' ascension shows us how we are to expect his return. Acts chapter 1 verse 10 says this, verse 10 and 11. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So he, we should expect to see him come in the clouds. And number five, Jesus' ascension tells us where our citizenship is. Church, we are citizens of a king and a kingdom that is in heaven. We are to eagerly wait for his return to take us home. Philippians 3:20, Philippians chapter 3 verses 20 to 21 says this, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verse 9, Paul um, commends the Thessalonians for this, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So we are to be anxiously awaiting our ascended Savior to come in like manner that he ascended. What a glorious description Luke paints for us in the end of his gospel. Jesus shows himself with words of peace, revealing their lack of faith. So he tenderly rebukes them, showing them he came in the flesh. He breathes on them to open their understanding. He explains his mission and their commission. And then he ascends. But this isn't the last story. Jesus' ascension draws our attention to us, uh, draws our attention to something even greater, his return. And so I leave you with these comforting words from Paul, found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then he who we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And I hope that you found these words comforting tonight. Please stand as we sing our hymn of response. I'll give a little minute here to our piano player to get in place. Found in hymn number 211. This is a new hymn. Uh, or maybe unfamiliar to some people. So what we're going to do is we're going to just to listen. Go ahead and stand um, all together, and we'll listen to the piano player play the melody once to- one time through, and then we'll all start um, after he plays it through once.
please remain standing. And um, normally a pastor would do a benediction, but I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to read um, a brief part of the resurrection uh, prayer from the Valley of Vision. So please bow your heads as I pray this or read this prayer. Jesus strides forth as the victor, conqueror of death, hell, and all opposing might. He bursts the bands of death, tramples the powers of darkness down, and lives forever. He, my gracious surety, apprehended for payment of my debt, comes forth from the prison house of the grave, free and triumphant over sin, Satan, and death. Show me herein the proof that his vicarious offering is accepted, that the claims of justice are satisfied, that the devil's scepter is shivered, that his wrongful throne is leveled. Give me the assurance that in Christ I died in him, I rose. In his life I live, in his victory I triumph. In his ascension I shall be glorified. Adorable Redeemer, thou who wast lifted up upon a cross, art ascended to the highest heaven. What more could be done than thou hast done? Thy death is my life, thy resurrection my peace, thy ascension my hope, thy prayers my comfort. Amen. Please remain standing as we sing our closing hymn. Thank <laughs> you.